When we think of negotiators, we often think of people who are trying to find a bargain, job seekers, or people on the front lines of a hostage negotiation or some other traumatic event. Those things might be true some of the time, but there's so much more to negotiation than that. Life is a negotiation, and right now it's showing up in the form of negotiating new structures, working arrangements, and relationships in light of the coronavirus pandemic. We're all negotiators. Our question this episode: What are the benefits of bringing yourself, your true self, to a negotiation? Welcome to episode sixty-seven of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to bring my conversation with author Mori Teharapour to you today. Before we get started, I want to offer a quick word of encouragement. If you know me just from listening to this, you can probably guess this is not about a rah-rah, chin up, you can do it type of encouragement. But rather, it's one that just lets you know that it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling right now. While most of us are more or less confined to our homes, only going out for exercise or essential errands. Numerous times over the past week, different people that I've spoken to have asked me, "How are you doing?" And I've decided to be honest. I say, "I'm doing okay, but it's really starting to get to me." And when I say "get to me," I mean that I'm feeling more sadness, more grief, more a sense of being lost and rudderless. It's a little more work each day to get up and focus and just do what needs to be done. In my last episode, I shared my personal mantra: space and grace, and I am still trying to practice that. It slows me down and it reminds me to be patient. It's still hard, though. The main thing I want you to know is that if you're feeling sad, that's okay. It's normal, and you don't have to be on the front lines or sick or lonely to feel sad. We are all, every single one of us, entitled to feel sad. We are sad for the world, and that's a pretty big burden. So if this is all starting to get to you, hang on. One of my coach colleagues shared that she's focused on doing one thing, just one small thing each day to lift her spirits a bit, something that will bring her some joy or peace, humor or a feeling of control. It might be to clean out a closet or fold laundry, spend time meditating, reading a favorite book, cooking something healthy, or maybe baking something. I've seen a lot about people taking up baking right now. Or just having a call with a friend, she focuses on just one simple choice each day. Maybe that would be helpful for you to consider. The bottom line is to recognize that it's normal to feel a bit lost and out of control and not okay. Take it one day at a time and commit to yourself that you will focus on what you can control and release the rest. Okay, well that was a pretty major diversion from our topic, but in a way it wasn't. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself and negotiate new expectations of yourself and others. This is not business as usual. So knowing that there is a need to negotiate with your thoughts, feelings and actions is critical as well as those that are around you. 
You might be negotiating with family members or colleagues, trying to create fairness and balance in the midst of upheaval. And that means talking about negotiation is exactly what is needed right in this moment. My guest today is Maury Teherapur, an award-winning faculty member in the Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where she teaches negotiations and dispute resolution. As a consultant, her past and current clients include the Goldman Sachs Foundation, Major League Baseball, and the White House Fellows Program, among others. From 2010 to 2014, Maury also served as the first-ever Senior Advisor for Sport for Development at the United States Agency for International Development. She earned her MBA from the Wharton School and her BA in Psychology and Pre-Medical Studies from Barnard College, Columbia University. Born in Iran, she moved to the U.S. as a child and now lives in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Her new book is titled Bring Yourself, How to Harness the Power of Connection to Negotiate Fearlessly. Hi, Maury. Welcome to How Can I Say This? I am uh, super delighted to have you on the podcast and congratulations on the launch of your book, Bring Yourself. Thank you, Beth. So excited to speak to you today. Thanks for having me. Well, it's I, I'm so um, so looking forward to this. You know, I loved the book. Um, so congratulations on its publication. And thank you so much for writing it, especially as you point out, you put a lot of emphasis kind of on, you know, what's going on in the inner game of negotiation, mm-hmm. and sharing a lot of stories about um, people that we would both expect to be good negotiators, as well as people who might not seem like they would be good negotiators. Right. So there were so many different directions to choose from. So I hope that the questions that we're going to use today are going to be helpful to people. I'd like to start out with something we share in common. We're both introverts. Yes, we are. And sometimes I think we can make an assumption that people like who are introverted won't make great negotiators. And then there are other unproductive assumptions that come up around negotiation. What are some of the most unproductive beliefs that people have about what it means to be a good negotiator? So maybe we start with the introverts first. And I think that I'm quite proud to be an introvert. Uh, Most people don't know how that's possible since I teach and I do public speaking for a living. But I think that the power of an introvert is the, the capability we have to really focus pay attention and listen really, really well. Um, you know, we so enjoy those intimate conversations and, and being curious about somebody. And I think that lends itself to being a really great negotiator. Um, we talk about how communications are really important in negotiations. Listening above all is so critical. So I think that's a secret power that introverts have that really work in our favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Other sort of characteristic that people think can't possibly make for a good negotiator is this notion of um, having empathy, because those people that think that negotiation is all about sort of winning at all costs and, you know, one person wins so long as it's you, it's great. It doesn't matter what happens to the other person. You know, it's sort of battle royale. Well, what that doesn't leave room for and what that doesn't do is leave space for the other person. And I think that, you know, you have to remind yourself this really is about two people or three people and understanding somebody fully understanding them like really really seeing somebody uh, not only makes that person more appreciative thus more open to the conversation but it also makes them feel really good about the conversation you're about to have and and it's that moment where 
the person will leave the conversation, leave the negotiation and think, wow, I really like that person. Forget the outcome, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's really about how you made that person feel. Mm-hmm. So quickly, you can take the sort of one-time conversation and roll it into sort of a, a business or an opportunity in perpetuity because you so enjoyed it. So I think that's really important. And moreover, getting to know people in a really deep way. Um, I think about empathy as being like curiosity on steroids. Um, really understanding how they came to that moment, you know, what their journey's been like. It makes for a tremendous amount of information sharing and exchange that will only make the conversation better. So, you know, a lot of those things that we think oftentimes make somebody weak or can't possibly make them good negotiators actually, I think, are incredibly beneficial. Yeah. One thing that crossed my mind as I was reading was that when I took mediation training, one of the things mm-hmm. that um, we learned was an outcome was not just that uh, two parties resolve their differences, but they actually emerge from the conversation with a stronger relationship. Right. And it strikes me that as you're talking about empathy, that is one of those key ingredients that could help us to do that. And it's not necessarily the mindset that we go into it. Often we're we're like, I'm afraid to go into this conversation or negotiation because I don't want to jeopardize the relationship. Right. But in actuality, we can actually make it stronger. Yeah. And, you know, those are, you know, I talk about sort of people pleasers a lot in the book. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I oftentimes encounter this when um, people are, you know, I teach a lot about entrepreneurs and they're in sort of family businesses or, uh, you know, they're, you know, proprietors. So they have a restaurant and everybody that they know wants to come in and get the free meal or, or what have you, and and they're too afraid to say no, um, or too afraid to negotiate with them and say, you know, I could give this to you at a discount, but, you know, I work too hard to just give away this stuff. What happens if you don't do that? Because we often think if you don't have that conversation, you're actually helping the relationship. Mm -hmm. But what you're really doing is actually chipping away at it, because over time, we become resentful. And the resentment becomes sort of this heavy burden that you carry around with yourself. And you've done nothing to help that relationship. You've actually done everything to hurt it. So, you know, you would be much better off um, treating even those negotiations as you would any other negotiation and speak up, have the courage to come to the table knowing what's important to you and ask with kindness, ask with empathy, but but really speak up because nobody takes anything away from you. You give it to them. So you can't really resent them. You know, it's it's important that you stand in your power and know that it was your decision. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Nobody takes anything away from you. You only give it to them. Thank you for that. Yeah. And and it's, it's a beautiful lead into the next question I had as I contemplated this, especially empathy. Um, it seems to me that there's a line to walk mm-hmm. between trying to empathize with the other person and their situation, while also being clear about what we want out of the negotiation, which might, if we, you know, have a particular mindset, mean that we feel like we have to set empathy to the side. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't can't empathize too much or else I'll sacrifice my self-interest. So how do we balance empathy and self-interest when they feel like they're in tension with one another? Um, I think it's partly how we define it. I actually um, think that you can never go wrong with empathy. If you think about it from the perspective of just being really curious about people, Mm -hmm. but where 
you sort of cross that line and you start then having to risk your needs and your wants and your desires for somebody else's is when you start, I think that's sort of like compassion in some ways that you take on somebody else's pain, you take on somebody else's challenges. Mm-hmm. What that does is it reduces your ability to ask for what you really want, right? Because their needs and their wants are now leading that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always say that empathy just means you're curious and it's okay to be empathetic. It's okay to be really empathetic, um, but turn that empathy onto yourself first. Have empathy for yourself. Have the courage to take care of yourself first. And when you turn around and you look to the other side, you look across the table and what's left is your ability then to open your heart and open your mind and have empathy for them as well. It's not one versus the other. They're not mutually exclusive. I think the two can live in like perfect harmony. Mm -hmm. It's just you're humanizing the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's what empathy means to me. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. I was grateful that as part of the book you include in the last part um, an acknowledgement of the political divide that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And you share a a quote from Abraham Lincoln that stopped me in my tracks. Um, It actually like made my throat sort of close up and tears come to my eyes because it just felt so true. It read, uh, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. And it feels like this divisiveness and self-righteousness and stubbornness that can get in the way of good negotiation also gets in our way when we talk about politics. And I'm afraid we're going to prove Lincoln right. (laughs) So I'm sure you're with me in in hoping that he's wrong, um, at least in terms of the fate of America. So what's your advice for those of us that want to heal and not contribute to the division? So... I'll first start with where we are today. In a really strange way, we are in in, um, in not such a pleasant time in history, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, pandemic yeah. is sort of ravaging us globally. But I see something really amazing happening where there seems to be more kindness um, because maybe we're sharing sort of this collective pain or that we're all in this together. And there seems to be something that sort of very universally has brought people together. And I sense it. I sense it when I see people on the street or, you know, waiting in line to go to Trader Joe's or what have you. There's a, there's something there that I hadn't felt in a really long time. Mm -hmm. So I'm really optimistic despite the pessimism of this moment, because what I think we have learned through this and what we will continue to learn is that we all have differences. We're all different. That's what makes this country and this world so beautiful, right? It's, it's like the, this perfect quilt of all these different colors and people and experiences. But what you can't do is think that those differences lead first um, and go there first always because at our core, and I know people say this all the time, but you really have to believe it, is that we share so much as human beings. There's so much that we have in common. And we have to remind ourselves that. So that's sort of the first thing. The second thing is that, look, hard conversations are just hard. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you can't have them. And if you ran away from them all the time or disengaged just because you disagreed with somebody, think about the lost opportunity to learn. Think about the the opportunity you just had to maybe expand your own horizons. It doesn't mean you have to agree with the person. 
it doesn't even mean that you have to like what they said. Mm -hmm. It just means that maybe you've just learned more and that you knew 10 minutes before that or 20 minutes before that. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from Bill Nye, who says, you know, every day you'll meet somebody that knows something you don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that we grow when we learn, we grow when we engage. And you have to remind yourself that even though that journey may be difficult, we must have it because at the end of the day, that's democracy. That's the ability to live side by side with differences in opinion and not destroy one another for it, but really respect each other for it. Um, and I think it's it's really important. I have hope. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm incredibly hopeful right now. Yeah, yeah, same here. I admit to sometimes falling into pessimism. And what, what we hear is we've never been more divided. Right. I think it was on a hidden brain or one of the, you know, podcasts, a TED Talk or something mm-hmm. that said, well, actually, we've been worse. Think of the Civil War. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, so we have come through, we have proven ourselves to be very resilient in the face of extreme and deadly divisiveness. Right, right. So we can make it through. And in some ways, this pandemic is like you said it is it is surfacing kindness that i hope we can carry forward after we have returned to a new normal right right i i think we can i i'm i think we have to you know despite all the challenges if we don't have hope we don't have anything and i think that that's really important that we remind ourselves that every day well, you, you open the book um, with a story that I wanted to check in with you on. You, you talk about when you worked for an HIV education prevention and outreach organization, mm-hmm. and this was early in the AIDS pandemic or epidemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was, I don't think it was a pandemic, mm-hmm. epidemic. Um, and in the course of doing outreach and education on ways to prevent HIV, you were trying to convince a young man that to use a condom. Um, he was, mm-hmm. and you talk about, I wonder, could you share that story with us and what happened? And as a follow-up to it, I'm wondering, knowing what you know now, you know, a few decades later, how would you approach that conversation differently? Um, I think it was one of the more jarring conversations I've ever had. Um, I was young, definitely young. And, and um, here we are, you know, in this organization and all our, all our clients were really high-risk individuals, you know, injection drug users um, you know, prostitutes, all, all, all the, you know, basically anybody that had put themselves at high risk for HIV. And our job was to go out and educate people and, and give them the tools and disseminate information that could prevent the transmission of HIV. And um, on this particular occasion, you know, I was, I was sitting down having this conversation with a young man and I was explaining to him why it was so important to have safe sex and not put yourself at risk for HIV. And it seems so simple, right? Mm-hmm. And and he said, well, tell me about this like AIDS thing again. You know, how long can you live with it? Um, and sort of took me aback because most people never ask me that kind of question. But I said, you know, once you get diagnosed, you have HIV, it transitions into AIDS and, you know, that could take years. And at that point, we were just getting a lot of these treatments like AZT. And so, you know, it could take years, five, seven years. And you know, with this look on his face, like, well, that's a long time. You know, mm-hmm. I, I could actually come out of my apartment or my house tomorrow and, you know, I could be shot. That could be the end for me. So, you know, tomorrow's, you know, seven years is a long way to, from tomorrow. Yeah. And what do you say at that moment, right? And the reason why it took me back is because I should have really exercised greater empathy in that moment because, 
I just assumed, right? Seven years is mm-hmm. is maybe not even that long. Whereas for somebody like him, it could have been a lifetime. And I think it was a very early lesson to me that you can't assume people's life circumstances and the road that they've traveled and the the journey that they've had up until that moment that you're having that conversation with them. So if you lead with empathy, if you lead with curiosity, then how you actually deliver the message that you're trying to deliver can be that much more effective because you can know how to communicate in a way that they can receive it, the way you intended it to be received. Um, and it was a it was a really big moment for me. It, it sort of hit me like a ton of bricks and both from the point of sadness, but also this notion of opening your heart and really, really understanding that everybody's journey is different. Yeah. If that young man were, you know, sitting in front of you now and said the same thing, how would you express that empathy or how would curiosity show itself? I think I would ask him more questions instead of talking at him Mm -hmm. um, and leading with advice. So ask more, listen more, say less, you know, God gave us two years and a mouth for a reason kind of thing. So (laughs) I don't know if my advice would have been any different because it couldn't have been any different, but I think that I would have spent more time understanding his circumstances, his life story, um, and then providing that level of advice in a way that he could have received it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would have been the difference. Not necessarily what I said, but but listening more so that I would know how he would actually receive it. Yeah, yeah. It, it strikes me that anyone listening has probably encountered some sort of interaction like this. And it could be, you know, with a teenager <laughs> that says, right. you know, why should I do this? Because it, it's like there's a difference between short term and long term perspective, right. <laughs> and their own life experiences. So I love that you're basically meeting them where they're at, right, instead of making them come to you. Exactly. That's much more persuasive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would you say to someone listening who says, I'm a terrible negotiator and um, I just, it doesn't even occur to me. So I'll, I'll share real quick. I realized this um, a few years ago. Like I said, I had mediation training and a few days before I started the training, my husband and I bought a new car and it wasn't until I was in this training that I realized, and we, we had a few scenarios that we were role playing and I realized I was like, oh my gosh. I didn't even think to negotiate. It just didn't even cross my mind. I just took something at face value. Right. And there was that opportunity. So what about the for those of us who, you know, maybe it's not our natural inclination to negotiate? How can we start to see that as an option for ourselves? Right. I think that this is going to be way too long of an answer, so I won't really go there. I'll just touch on it. There okay. are some gender implications to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's uh, a great book, Confidence Code, and what they talk about in there is, is really, so Kathy Kay, and what they talk about is really the difference between men and women, and, and men never have to be told that something is negotiable. They just think they can negotiate, whereas women sort of have to be told that there's an opportunity to negotiate. And I think, you know, that's that's really profound, because I do think it goes beyond gender. I think that it could be a cultural thing, it could be socioeconomic thing, a variety of factors that prevent people from thinking that there is an opportunity to negotiate. The real issue is that most people think that negotiation is conflict, Mm -hmm. that if they ask, then somebody, the person that they're asking from will be turned off by it, or they won't be 
so likely to, to, you know, there's that likability factor, right? If I ask maybe they won't like me or, or maybe I'll come across as being too aggressive. Well, the reason for that is that we, I think we misinterpret what negotiations really is. And if you think about negotiations as just being a mere conversation, mm-hmm. that it's an opportunity for you to have a voice, right? It's an opportunity for you to not only understand what your value is, but to be able to express it to somebody. Again, not at the expense of the other person, mm-hmm. but really as an opportunity to maybe even start a conversation. And if you don't take advantage of those opportunities, then the missed opportunities, unfortunately, things like salary conversations, they have um, this, this sort of, the, it grows, right? It has this cumulative effect over time. And that's the real unfortunate piece, right? It's not like missed opportunity, oh, I'll make up for it the next time. It sort of builds on one another. And whether it's not learning to have courage to negotiate and not seeing the opportunities, or it's, you know, you don't ask enough times for a higher salary, then over time you've lost, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. So I think part of this is really redefining what negotiations is and believing in yourself more because it's it's just an opportunity to engage nothing more it doesn't have to be conflict ridden it doesn't have to be headbutting it's just a conversation yeah it, the stories that we have wrapped up around it exactly and, and remembering that you know especially when it comes to salary negotiations it strikes me that you set a precedent and it's not just about promotions or or raises but it's about how someone else sees you and respect. And um, there's so much to consider. And I really appreciate in your book how you do talk about self-worth and making sure that we are paying attention to when we are Mm -hmm. um, selling ourselves short (laughs) in many ways. So Right, right. Exactly. Well, we could go in so many different places. And I am so glad for where we went. (laughs) So thank you so much for the conversation and sharing your insight and wisdom with uh, such generosity. Thank you. I was so looking forward to this. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. I really highly recommend that you pick up Maury's book, as it contains so many helpful stories that illustrate really clearly the realities and the possibilities of negotiation. Here's my call to action for you, and it's a continuation of what Maury and I spoke about, the importance of empathy. As I get into this, let me share just a quick quote from her book. This comes from former FBI chief negotiator Gary Nosner, who said, When I used to interview people when they had surrendered after an incident and ask them what one thing I said made them change their mind, they would invariably reply, I don't know what you said, but I liked the way you said it. Our genuine, sincere, and concerned tone and demeanor are the most powerful tools of influence that we know. Think about that. Being sincere genuine and concerned is key to talking with someone with whom you don't agree or with whom you need to reach a deal. You might be talking to a coworker, your spouse, or your teenager. Your call to action applies to the next time you find yourself in a negotiation about anything. Pause for a moment and empathize with the other person's position. Try to think past what they're asking for and get curious about why they're asking. What need are they trying to fill? It's probably a need that corresponds somewhere on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They need something basic, such as food, shelter, or sleep. They have safety and security needs. Maybe they need friendship or a sense of belonging. 
Perhaps they're really looking for love, respect, or recognition. And there's a possibility that underneath their stated want, they need in exchange something that makes them feel they're being the best that they can be. We can't always figure out which one is right in the moment, but you don't have to work hard to figure it out if you're willing to ask a few questions. One might be, if you get what you want, what will be different? Or what's most important to you about this? Oftentimes, the disagreement isn't about the thing itself, about whether who decides what's for dinner or where you're going on vacation when we can travel again. It's a need that's underneath that, which might be the need to be heard, the need to express an opinion, to share a thing or a place that they love and hope that you love it too. If we can be sincere, genuine, and concerned with our questions and focus on really hearing someone else's story, we open up the door to a more productive conversation that will strengthen your relationships. Our next episode will feature two listener questions about how do you engage in a conversation when your romantic partner pulls away and says they don't want to talk about it anymore. That's the first question. And the second one will be around how to tell someone that he's lying to you and how to make him stop. A quick reminder that you can find past episodes, find out how to leave a review, submit your own listener question, and learn more about the show at HowCanIsayThis.com. And if you're looking for a dynamic, informative, and thought-provoking speaker for your next virtual conference, meeting, or event, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at beth at howcanisaythis.com or complete the contact form on the website. I just did last week a well-received talk about healthy communication while in close quarters for Seattle Rotary Club, and I would love to be able to share it with more people. So if that's of interest to you, please reach out to me, beth at howcanisaythis.com. This is Beth Below, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? A very special thank you to our guest, Maury, to our podcast producer, Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.